Is my guest on the line? Yes. We're, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of torn here. Uh, 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 between playing a, a, a couple of tunes to introduce him today on this Wisdom Wednesday. Yeah, it is the feast day of St. David of Wales, so I could play in that. But I'm kind of torn because I really wanted to serenade him thus. Because he is my Bristol. But then I thought, well, no. How about I serenade him another way? Okay. Coconut man, moon heads, and me. You ready? You ready? Simpson hosted the True Money Show on the Two Banker Hotline for a Wisdom Wednesday. Uh, Bristol, which which song do you prefer as a serenade? Well, I, mean, I was kind of enjoying Jesse J there with a little price tag action. Uh, kind of <laughs> brought back some true money. <laughs> <laughs> I have been keeping the memory of the True Money Show alive just for you by playing that song once a week. <laughs> so I will have you know... People are very familiar. Forget about the price tag. <laughs> hey, it's your feast day today. Yeah, you know, I uh, I, I hate to say this because it, it'll make me sound like an ungrateful jerk, but I have never really known much about St. David of Wales. I do know that I is, I do have, know I have a patron of the name St. David of Wales, and uh, I guess I've kind of more um, always saw the Old Testament, King David, you know, um, as my patron, but... But yeah, I, I need to we need to do a little research on him and figure out more about him and see uh, if I can find some commonality in our name beyond our name. Well, you know he, well, he you'll like this. You know he lived to be a hundred and forty-seven. I don't want to do that, Mike. I don't want to do that. <laughs> David's like I was ready to check out at forty-seven, man. <laughs> That's a hundred too many. Oh Lord, Bristol, the world is getting crazier. It 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 really is. I, I almost get tired of saying, "Well, what could they possibly, what could they possibly do to one up or one down, rather, what they just did?" And somehow they always find a way. <laughs> you, you know, you uh, you always talk about how the movies sometimes are kind of forecasting. Also, sometimes the Holy Ghost is overriding the writer and, and putting in some divine message. Uh, you know. They're telecasting this one, I think, and, you know, starts off always in a fringe. So I don't know much about this story. I just know 
that I saw a headline that said some unknown TikToker is announcing that aliens are coming this summer. Before aliens come this summer, uh, there'll be 8,000 people just vanish, you know, uh, instantaneously, I think, in one day. Anyway, the reason I bring it up is that 29,000 people apparently started clicking and following this dude or gal. I don't know what it is. We don't know. It's a known person. Uh, and I'm just thinking something's kind of strange is going to happen. It's going to be beyond the pale because they're already kind of telling us, hey, some weird stuff's coming, Mike. It's coming down the road. Just wait. What if that creation, God just didn't tell us, but he actually populated a planet orbiting Alpha Centauri Prime? As a backup plan. Maybe after the, maybe during the flood, David, maybe during the flood, he went, all right, these idiots are wrong. I am going to make my real master race over here in Alpha Centauri, and I'm going to give these boobs another chance. Yeah, I, I don't think so, but I, I, will, say, <laughs> I, I will say that uh, if we get visited by aliens, watch out, there's probably a pitchfork and some little spike tails behind their rear end. Okay, so, uh, all right, let me hit you with this one here. We're just, let's, let's just uh, have, have a freewheeling Wisdom Wednesday. You probably, uh, you and Ray probably have not seen this uh, series, but the first two seasons is worth watching. It's very well done. Gabriel Byrne, the famous Irish uh, actor, is in it. It's a new version of The War of the Worlds. Now, well, I have seen some of it. Um, I don't know if I've seen both seasons, but I, yeah, recently I did watch a season, I believe. Okay, so it's in season three now. Now, I'm going to, spoiler alert for all of you that do not want to hear what how season one ends, what the big gift. If you saw the end of season one, then you already know. So, But this is an interesting way to solve the aliens' dilemma through creation, if you will. Because at the end of season one, you find out, what's the chick's name that uh, Gabriel Barron presses off the, uh, uh, Emily, Emily. You find out that Emily is, who's a 17-year-old, okay, the aliens come in 2020. <laughs> Coincidence, David? <laughs> the, right. war, the war of the world. The aliens come in 2020, and they wipe out 90% of all human populations. They hit the big cities first. I, I get, again, Holy Ghost telling us something. I mean, he's just destined to destroy the, the, the big cities, and then they send their killer robots in to, 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 to do cleanup. Um, but of those that survive, there's a girl who, she starts the, the whole series off. Her name is Emily. She starts the series off, and she's blind. Right. And she has a very cute sense of hearing, but she's blind. Uh, well, by the time the aliens start sounding their so their alien sound, uh, all of a sudden she could see. Not only could she could see, but she can see very, very well. And then uh, the the season progresses, and they do a really good job of these uh, the, these robots that run around and kill people. And uh, it is actually kind of the first season and a half is very creepy. But at the end of season one, you find out again. Spoiler alert! You find out. That Emily and the little French kid, what was his name, Luca, Lua, little, little ingrate, you find out that they actually are from the future. Yeah. And they have come back in time. The, the, the parents of the aliens that come to kill us are actually humans who escaped Earth just before, or they were taken from Earth, they somehow escaped Earth, just before or during uh, the uh, uh, one of the iterations of the aliens destroying 
the Earth, uh, the human population in 2020. So they solved this problem of, well, they're not really aliens. And you find out that while the, you know, Gabriel Byrne describes it, their DNA matches ours. If you make a virus that kills them, I mean, you can make it specifically. And it's an, it, 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 if, you, if you think about this, David, it really is an Adam and Eve story. I mean, they're telling the story of creation, but it's used, again, to, 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 to bring original sin, I guess, uh, into the uh, alien planet. So there is a yeah. way for Alpha Centauri to work <laughs> and keep with the creation <laughs> yeah, well, narrative. Well, like I've always said, if there ever is some secondary, I, I just don't believe it because I think God intentionally puts us in a privileged place, and I think every act of creation kind of indicates and points to it, right? Yes. Um, just the, the very location of the Earth, it, it's perfectly located situation to, relative to the sun, et cetera. But if there were, it, 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 I agree with you, if there were, all, all it means is that we're going to find something more expansive in the creation story rather than there's not a God, right? There's just going to be something That's more right. about God that we didn't know. I actually look forward to that. So I'm I'm hoping that uh, that Emily and Luca are actually real characters. And uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> but it is a way to think about it. And you 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 had mentioned the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost has warned us about an awful lot. Uh, if you go read the uh, short stories of Philip K. Dick, you'll find everything you need to know about today. The Holy Ghost told yeah. us in the 1950s and 60s when Philip K. Dick was writing those short stories and those uh, those zines he wrote for zines, right? Those sci-fi short stories for zines and the uh, the dime uh, the dime uh, dime store novels and what have you. Pretty much what we're going through today, or what we have have seen, uh, Philip K. Dick or Isaac Asimov or Ray Bradbury, pretty much, or even Orwell, pretty much. H.G. Wells, pretty much, wrote some of this out, and the uh, Jules Verne wrote some of this. That has actually come to pass. No one knew what, a, what an actual real submarine was when Jules Verne wrote 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Um, right. And not only did, was it a real submarine, but it had it, what? What powered it? An atomic reactor. So uh, my theory about the Holy Ghost, I believe, is, is, is easily for college. If there was a real liberal arts college, maybe Christendom out there. To get your your PhD in some study, you can actually use my theory on the Holy Ghost and do a thesis on it, and I think that yeah. you could prove it. Um, but that's not, we could even we could even go down to George Carlin <laughs> in, his, in your little opening there. Uh, him just making jokes about what's coming, and boy, has it come! You know, golly, we're washing this and spraying that, and oh, it's going to ridiculous lengths. Oh, it's a good, it's very very good, uh, or very 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 well timed in 1994. He yeah. recorded that. 1994. Uh, but I wanted to hit you, my finance guy here on a Wisdom Wednesday, our financial advisor. The stock market is on the verge of signaling that the bear market is finally over, says Business Insider. This broke. This is breaking! 27 minutes ago. Uh, these people just make stuff up, don't they? Well, yeah, I did a story on the True Money Show years ago. Uh, a financial reporter had retired, and um, basically his little sign-off message that he wrote, one last article, I guess, uh, he says, hey, I, I'm sorry, I feel like a like a prostitute. I've been making, not making up stories, but basically writing stories I've been told to write, just randomly indicating good, bad, or indifferent about all things financial. And uh, it was just to gain readership and attention, and it had no basis in reality. That was the essence of his message. And, um, <laughs> and 
Right. And so you go, and now you, you and I had this discussion a few weeks ago. Um, you asked me kind of how do I do this? Like how can I read 180-degree opposite uh, statements in the press, but not just two of them, not just one against the other, but 50 against 50 or 150 against 150, all different directions, basically saying paradoxical and opposite things. How do you read it and come up with some any, any systematic view of the world? And the answer is twofold. One, I used to read a lot more, and it was it was it was, I guess, kind of almost like a, a mind melt. You know, you just couldn't you couldn't go any further. You'd read, 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 just try to get your bearings, and it was hurting you more than it was helping. Um, now I read a lot less, and when I do read, what I do read, um, it's just kind of a select few people that um, I think have something to say. But even then. I'm just using my economics and monetary uh, training that I've always had and applying it to this world. Now, the problem is <laughs> is that I use a realist approach. In other words, I look at what real finance and what real economics and what real monetary policy should be and what it would do if you vary from it. And the world now is so detached from reality. Um, this is why we call it crazy constantly. It's so detached from reality that they're starting to make their fantasy world come true. It won't last. But, like, they're making the fantasy world come true, so my reality view is not accurate anymore, <laughs> at least temporarily, um, which is very, very frustrating because people go, Dave, keep saying the same thing. It ain't happening. Well, I know because that's <laughs> – uh, everybody who pulls the strings, everybody who runs the, the media cartel, everyone who runs the money cartel, they're all working in the fantasy game right now. Um, but it's unsustainable, and it's just a matter of time before that thing, which I firmly believe, will come to pass. Well, uh, the fantasy world that they have created is the world where reality doesn't exist. One, once well, you they said something earlier, Mike. You said um, talking about where do they get talking about the banks and the and the, and the student loans being forgiven, and whether or not your mortgage should be forgiven, and the fact that the bank doesn't have any money, they never have any money to give out because they don't actually store money. That's all correct. And so you go, okay. So what is the money? The money's fantasy money. The money's monopoly money. And if they can just randomly hand out fake money when they gave the loan and then randomly hand out fake money that supposedly forgives the loan, then, then how in the world can a financial advisor like me say, okay, this is what's going to happen, let's say, in the bond market or in the stock market or in the housing market? I can't possibly say what's going to happen in the housing market when they just randomly give away $100,000 to a person willy-nilly. Right, right. Who knows what it's going to do? Well, okay, I was talking earlier about mortgages. Maybe you, you might have heard a little bit about this, about how if you're going to give away, if you're going to forgive student loan debt, and because ostensibly, well, the federal government gave the money away anyway. The federal government doesn't have any money. Read the Constitution. That's why right. it established the Treasury. That's why it said it could, that's why it gave, it, it gave itself the authority to, uh, to borrow money, because it didn't have any. So uh, right there from the get-go, it, it only had what it, could, what it could raise, and it gave itself the avenues, right? Duties, tariffs, imposts, and, uh, uh, and certain taxes, right? Uh, so that it could raise funds. Uh, so if the federal government, which, which the Obama regime made, basically made it illegal to loan money out of student loans in 2009, Pelosi Congress handed him that bill and he signed it. So you basically have to go to your friendly neighborhood congressman and plead to borrow money, okay? And they'll give it to you. But whose money are they giving you? Well, they're either getting it out of the treasury, which they say that they are, or 
They're just writing another blank check from a Federal Reserve note for money that doesn't exist, and we're going to print it or we're going to tax someone to pay uh, to, to actually pay it, uh, make it uh, to 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 um, replace it sometime uh, either now or sometime in the near future uh, if sure. you if you have interest cost on it. So they're not really forgiving then anything other than what already should ostensibly if I own the debt and they could tax me to pay the debt back, well, then, ostensibly, then, that student loan is mine. It's yeah. ours. So the, the, the next phase of the, of the question is this. If that's true, then no one is exchanging gold coins for houses these days. The same process is taking place. <laughs> Your mortgage broker goes to the discount window at his, at his nearby Fed, and he gets money that doesn't belong to him. He, he is under. He, 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 he doesn't even have to sign a promissory note. Basically, he then supposedly loans it to you, and then you buy the house, and then he charges usurious, obscene mortgage uh, interest rates yeah. on it. Now, at no point in time was the money ever his. At no point in time was the money ever technically did it ever belong to the Federal Reserve. So where did it come from? It supposedly came from the Treasury, meaning, again, well, how does the Treasury right. get money? It gets it from me. So, again, right. if you're going to forgive student loans because it's the government's money and you can do that, why don't we get a mortgage holiday, and why isn't my mortgage being forgiven because it came from the same place? Well, no, of course the, the logic is sound, and, and, of course, that was that's what's going to start being screamed. And you know what? The government might actually try it, Mike. That's the sick part. So that's what I'm talking about. It's this huge misallocation of resources, this huge distortion of markets. I'll give you another one that don't, people don't think of technically in the financial world, but it's, it's definitely true. Okay, you and me are going to be driving electric cars, Mike. You know what? Because they're going to make us. And they're not just making me and you drive electric cars. They're making these factories retool their entire operation to build a vehicle that no one wanted. Okay? And so you go, well, wait a second. I mean, let's just say you bought GM stock 50 years ago because you believed, hey, that's a cash cow over there. That company makes lots of money. They pay good dividends. I want to really, I want to ride that train and make myself some money and ride off into retirement and sit my pina coladas while I lay in my hammock, right? That's my dream. And so you do. You buy the GM stock. Well, of course, you have a bad example because of all the <laughs> things that happened before the EV, but you get my point. My point is, is that then all of a sudden a government tells a company, yeah, you know, the, all that cash that you got laying around, I don't want you to use it for your shareholders who bought your stock because they want your dividends. I want you to build new factories that produce cars that nobody wants. Okay? Now, let, explain to me, how am I supposed to judge what GM stock is worth? <laughs> Should I base it on historical data and their valuations and, and what they actually could produce? Or now this fantasy world that they might be made to do something they don't want to do and spend billions of dollars. And by the way, that might not work. And then they could go kaput. So you buy the stock and it's worth nothing. I mean, this is what I'm talking about. We're living in this world that is completely arbitrary, unilateral from one direction only, from Washington, D.C., out. And everyone's going, okay, 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 okay. And people like me who are trying to judge where does this, where does this train wreck end, man, oh, man, it is a nightmare. And when you think of it in those terms, then... When you hear, and you and I talked about this last uh, last Wisdom Wednesday with uh, uh, Wisdom Wednesday he, here with David Simpson, who is subbing for the LSAT administering. I mean, 
me make sure I get the test right. His brother goes like, oh, Mike, I can't make Wisdom Wednesday tomorrow. I have something that I, that I absolutely have to do. PSAT, the PSAT, PSAT yeah, test yeah. Uh, that he is administering today at his school. Uh, so David is admirably filling in uh, for Brother Andre Marie. Last time you and I uh, t- talked about this, and we we talked about, okay, well, how do we, t- we return to a gold standard? You know, I just, I'm blown away by just how simple this actually can be and can be explained. If you get Hilary Bellox, or Hilary Bellox, however you wish to pronounce him, Hilary Bellox, Economics for Helen. So I just finished the first section of the book, dude. I'm done. So and then he goes, okay, we can't solve this problem through monetary policy. He's talking about the fiat currency. And this is in 1923. Yeah, no. <laughs> they were just playing yeah. games with it then. And, and he concludes at the end of that section that, okay, I believe I've demonstrated that this problem cannot be solved through monetary policy, economic policy. So what does that leave us, Hilary Bellin? Now, you know the answer. He says two things. It leaves us politics and it leaves us morals and doctrine. We're going to, and then, so I, and I'm like a little kid reading it, even though I've read it before, and I only read like a page and a half a day, and it really, it's just a great little meditation. Uh, so I'm looking forward to starting the po- the politics segment or section, and I know he's going to conclude that you can't solve it through politics, but he's going to end with saying you can only really solve this morally. This is a yeah. social problem, a civilizational problem that can only be solved civilizationally, Right. Yeah, you're starting, to, you're starting to ring back to a lot of my true money themes, you know. So um, early early on the True Money Show, I, I, I published um, a blog about Father Charles Coughlin, who was fighting what they used to call the Money Trust, the people who took over our money system in the early 1900s. Uh, Father Charles Coughlin was fighting them in America, and he called it a dishonest money system, what they were producing and what they were going to generate. And he, and he did. They, and so I used to say the True Money Show, when we get an honest money system back, well, what does honesty relate to, Mike? Honesty has nothing to do with money. <laughs> it has to do with <laughs> personal interaction, one or the other. Do you believe the other guy, right? I guess that maybe is the, the fundamental. It's like we cannot right now believe any other guy, meaning insurance company, bank, car company, the government, you know, pick your poison. We can't believe any other guy right now because they all lap up to this dishonest money system. They live in it. They love it. They trade in it. They whine for it. Uh, they beg for handouts. Um, you name it. This is how the money system works now. And for honest people, let me give you. I'll give you another little anecdote. This kind of applies to the bank. You'll love it. I don't know if you met my friend Tim, but Tim's a Tim's a you know just hardworking, you know, working man, uh, average Joe, just a good but 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 full of piss and vinegar, ready to fight, man. So, <laughs> is so this the well digger guy? Yeah, yeah. I never met him. You talked about him a million times, but I never actually met him. But I know of him. I know his stories. We need to to go have drinks. You're you're going to get it. Okay, all right. So so Tim Tim was telling me the other day that uh, he goes, Dave, he's got a son named Dave. He goes, my son wants to buy a truck. He goes, I I said, all right, Dave, I'm going to help you out. I'll co-sign the loan. I'll call my bank, you know. Uh, He goes, I'm just trying to get the kids some credit. I'm just trying to, you know. Make sure he does it right and whatever. Okay, I said, yeah, yeah, sure, I get it. He goes, I don't agree with credit. I don't agree with the banks. But, you know, I, I get it. He might, he's got to live in this world like we have. So, blah, okay. So he goes on. And he says, so I call my bank. He goes, it's a local bank. It's a little small bank. He goes, I know the woman who works behind the desk. And she's sitting there talking to me. And I said, okay, look. And he goes, he goes, he goes to kind of 
you know, start this off. He goes, I usually, he goes, I regularly have, because I have a business there, I regularly have forty dollars to $50,000 in my checking account because I have to buy equipment all the time. We go, all right. So he goes, so I call her up and I say, how much, uh, I said, my son wants to buy a truck. I'm a co-signer alone. What kind of interest rate do you think he can get? And she says, <laughs> she made the wrong statement to Tim, but to Tim, he said, she says, 12 to 16%. And he said, did you hit your head and have some kind of brain injury that I didn't, I'm not aware of? And, uh, and she says, oh, no, Mr. Tim, this is kind of dictated to us from, you know, the federal you know, people. And he's like, he's like, I have had in that bank for 15 years, just goes, he goes, let's just add a 50,000 month for 15 years. And you're trying to tell me because in all that money you've been loaning out to other people to make money to sit in your big comfortable chair and sit in your big building in your air conditioning. He goes, you've been using that money for everybody else, but when I come to get a piece of it, you can't give it to me for anything besides 12 or 16. Yes, sir. I mean, that's just, you know, that's the way, that's the rules. And, you know, he says, <laughs> so he closes with this one. He says, well, get it. He goes, well, get a croaker sack out and start stuffing that money in there because I'm coming by there in an hour to pick it up. <laughs> <laughs> All hail, Tim. All hail, Tim. <laughs> There are two things that I was thinking of when you were when you were going through. I was thinking of Dan Aykroyd and, and trading places when he goes, "I have over one hundred and fifty thousand dollars in that bank." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, look, it it's, it's, it's your point, though, right? Uh oh. Uh oh. Brista, <laughs> you'll figure it out in a minute. <laughs> Uh, well, get, get you a Kroger bag <laughs> and put it in there because I'm coming back to get it in an hour. <laughs> Isn't that how we should all treat these things? Mike Churchill here on the Crusade Channel. Uh, in live, live talk radio, isn't it great? It's exciting. You know, I was talking to, um, uh, 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 I really like my new friend in Poland, Michal, uh, uh, Michael Krupa. And he, he sent me a note yesterday, and he goes, uh, Mr. Church, I just want to thank you again for having me on the show. He goes, I really love the live talk radio vibe. And I wrote it back. I'm like, dude, it's not a vibe. It's real. We actually are doing live radio. And he goes, it just reminds me of that great radio I grew up with when I was in Poland behind the Iron Curtain. We never knew what to expect. You know, you had that uh, that element of surprise. Let's go back to uh, uh, Mr. Simpson. I think that old Sparky must have been a little bit upset about what you just said because he cut you off. Well, yeah, you know, if you're talking about the banks, they they, they pull all the strings. <laughs> oh, my God. I think that might be the funniest story. I might just use that story to open talks that I give. Well, you see that, that, that Kroger bag right there? Fill it up with my money. I'll be back in an hour to get it. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, he did. He, he, he never tells. He never says something unless he means it. That's that's what I'm saying. He's an honest guy, man. He said he went by there. And he goes, David. I grabbed everything out of it. He goes, I, he goes, I left enough money to transact business on a daily basis. That's it. Now I think that this is a, the the uh, this is a te a teachable moment here because Mr. Tim actually said, "I don't roll that way." I'm not going to let you do that to me. I'm not going to play your game. That is not how the game is played. Uh, and he just, and again, the, the woman who's the banker, you know, the, 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 there are no Milburn Drysdales left. When you go to a bank, you are not talking to a human being that can actually make a human decision. 
You yep. were talking to someone, and it's going to nod their head politely, get you a cup of community coffee while you wait, and is then going to say, well, just fill the application there on, on the iPad. And it's going to hit send, and it's going to go to an. Uh, 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 it's going to go into a machine somewhere, and artificial intelligence running an algorithm is going to decide your fate, yay or nay. No human being is ever going to be involved in that transaction, even if you go to your local bank. And uh, uh, one of the ones we have here is like Resource Bank. Uh, there's SunTrust Bank. Uh, they, these guys are out of. Uh, I want to say they're. Out, uh, well, you know what? They got bought. It was a local bank, but it got gobbled up. It's a regional bank now. Uh, but yeah. Resource Bank, I believe, is still a local bank. Even if you go to Resource Bank, maybe it has 10, 12 branches, you're still ultimately, they're all connected. Uh, they're probably going to run your loan process through uh, an algorithm or through a credit score agency, and they're going to tell you yay or nay. Is the Federal Reserve requiring all of them to do this? And, they, and they, are they well, all now hitched directly to Equifax and these criminals that run these credit yeah. score reporting agencies? Pretty much. So, you know, the banking system, so, you know, they all, you, whenever you go to the bank, you always see, you know, uh, federally registered or whatever else, and then you hear FDIC insurance. Those two things are the clues that they are basically part of the giant cartel of banks that are all have, all have basically, you know, three or four masters. I mean, there's only four or five families that run the whole banking system in the United States, and that's, that's just been the, ca been the case for over 100 years. John Pierpont, um, Morgan Chase, who's the other two? Oh, you got Rockefeller, Rockefeller. you had uh, the War the Warburgs. Uh, I can't remember all the names, Mike, but the yeah, they're the same families. Okay. They still run everything, um, <clears throat> and so so anyway, you know, I concluded my talk with Tim. I said, Tim, I said, you're kind of my wheelhouse now, of finance. I said, I've been stewing on, you know, is there a way out of this money system, or, or is there some sidestep or anything we can do? I said, but you know, you gave me the idea again of why can't we just have a bank for ourselves? We keep. You know, we can use the same currency for all, but maybe later on try to change the currency, make it a script or something else. But he goes, Simpson, you do that, I'm in. You tell me where and where we're going to have the meeting, <laughs> I'm in. May the so, 5th in uh, Arnoville. I'll tell you where the meeting's going to be. <laughs> well, there you go. So, uh, I, you know, now, now granted, talking like this, right, well, now we're revolutionaries or we're terrorists or something else because we want a fair deal. Because we want to we want deal honestly with each other. We're now evil bastards. Now, you, you tell me this world isn't messed up when you just make a suggestion like, hey, I want to live free and be left alone with just a group of people that we all like one another, and they want to shut you down. That's how messed up the world is right now. Now, I'm going to uh, break a little bit of news here. Uh, I am going to put my application in with the Angel Investor Group today. I am applying for the funding that I need to purchase 1,200 cans uh, my famous uh, Barbacoa Brotherhood Beast and Butt Rub uh, with the label printed, the UPC code. You wouldn't believe what you have to go through to get a UPC code, but it was actually pretty cool. Uh, there's a trade group that was established back in uh, the 80s, even before the digital age, but they kind of saw the, the need to, to have some sort of uniform rule, if you will, to identify products. I guess they saw the proliferation of junk and they actually invented, or, or, or they're or near where the UPC code, the UPC label was invented. So I actually went and purchased, David. I think this is a very interesting uh, subject for a future True Money show, and I, and I could be your guest. I actually purchased my own unique UPC identifier, global, global identifier number. 
So when someone scans, or they could also use this against me, when someone scans a can of Beast and Butt Rub, um, it's going to go to the universal, to the uh, the URL, basically. It's going to go, okay, let's register to a nonprofit, the Crusade Radio Guild. Oh, and that's their product. But I can crank out as many UPC codes from my, uh, I, I want to almost say it's a GAT company. It's not. But it's not general tariff and trade recognition or whatever. Um, but uh, but it because of the, uh, I have my unique identifier number. I can buy my own unique, my, my, my barcodes are unique. I'm not going to, this is another usury scheme there. My point about this, I would have had to have gone through another broker who's not doing anything other than linking me back to the company I just bought my own account from. You see where I'm going with this? This is the yeah. conundrum of the middleman and the middleman. Yeah. The middleman is always there. Now, we tend to think of the middleman, you know, he's well, he's got to make his living. He's got to do it. What if there wasn't a middleman? What if you went directly yeah, well, to the blacksmith to go get your horse's shoes? Now, right. Well, that's, now that's always been a, a, a thought, right? Like, basically, modern commerce got built upon, I think, the middleman, the guy who's willing to take the first initial load of whatever is being dealt and then pass and distribute it out, obviously, to the, the final seller. Right. And there's been this big issue inside of commerce and inside of economics for a long time, especially in the modern age with the technology as it is. Is that guy necessary? Um, but what you, And what you're saying, though, is I think a side note of it is, well, he's not necessary, but because he's got a stranglehold on everything, he won't let go of the stranglehold, right? Yeah, it took a couple of hours of searching for me to go, like, I keep getting this, these exorbitant prices, $250 for a barcode. And I'm like, no, I refuse. I won't pay it. There's got to be another way. And finally, yeah. I found the people that actually, th there is an actual, all right, are you familiar with the ICANN, I-C-A-N-N? You probably get notices for the uh, TFFCO website. ICANN administers yeah, yeah, yeah. all the DNS addresses in the world. Right, right. If you have a domain, well, how does how does it know? Well, because ICANN basically, it's ICANN and the WC3, another uh, uh, consortium, if you will. So basically, it's a repository of, uh, of URLs and IP addresses is what it basically is. Um, well, there is the same thing for barcodes. So, But there are all yeah. these people out there that purport, well, we generate. No, you don't. No, you don't. You go to the guy, to the central organization, using your unique identifier, and then you are, so this is cool. This discovery of, of mine, the previous barcodes that I bought for books, for example, through Bowker. Bowker didn't issue them. The company that I had my own account with now. You know how much it'll cost me to issue my next UPC label? 0, 0.0? No, it'll cost me $15. It's a $15 filing fee. But I can crank them out. Two fifty. Yeah, yeah. No, no. The two fifty is one-time membership. Uh oh. I am a I am a I am a member vendor now. I am a world recognized member vendor, and I can now crank out. I think it's it's either ten or fifteen dollars. Ten. It's a, it's a small small service fee. As many UPC labels as I want. And I would have well, been paying two fifty a pop. Yeah, that's what I thought you said. Yeah, so that's just huge. That's enormous. So this is just a, another way when you so just going back to Tim with the uh, with the currency. Uh, but anyway, my, my, the whole point of me bringing this up, I kind of went off on a tangent there, was I'm going to borrow some fundage 
from the Angel Investor Group to buy 1,200 cans of Beast and Butt Rub. And I'm going to go on a, a regular monthly payback or whatever till we get it paid back. Uh, but this will enable us to get the product into the hands of anyone in any store anywhere in the United States that has a scanner device and does the UPC label. Well, when they scan mine, it doesn't matter what it is. You won't even, they won't even have to program it in, into their system. They won't even well, have to enter. Know, you know, I get- you, Mike, you know I got a real head knocker in charge of the AIG. You know I mean, so I don't know if you can get past that guy or not, but I'll, I'll definitely put you in line. <laughs> you got to talk to the Sergeant Arms, dude. I ain't talking to him for you. <laughs> I'm making my sales pitch right now. <laughs> but I have no. Julie sent me the application. I'm gonna, I'll fill it out this morning and send it back. My point is, is if I had gone to my bank, they would have given me the Tim Welldigger speech. Oh, yeah, oh, we can loan you the 6K. Oh, yeah. Let me look it up. Oh, yeah, I just saw your credit score. Uh, 16.5%. Yeah. Thank, thank you for thank you for shopping with us. Yeah, I know. Right. But I'm not going to pay 16.5% with the Angel Investor Group. And many of you are investors in, am I? No, of course not. So there is another way then. Yeah, well, like I said, we could easily get shut down, so maybe we shouldn't be talking about it. But I don't know. Uh, look, this is this is the uh, this is the conundrum we're in, and and I, you know I don't feel bad. Look, I've lived through it. I was indoctrinated in it, and then you know, then through the grace of God, I was able to pull my head out of my rear end and kind of reorient myself and and go a different direction. And and but I'm not really a different direction, just kind of a, a holding pattern, a defensive operation against everything they were doing to me. Well, I raised my family with that mindset, and uh, I was talking to uh, another friend of ours, Ernesto, um, our singer USA guy, Ernest. I was like, um, you know, I don't even look at big victories anymore. I'm not trying to win a political race. I'm not trying to, you know, see an act of Congress pass or anything else. I said, literally, I'm praying for micrometers of advancement on our side. Like, maybe, you know, I, like, I pray to God, literally, every day, I hope my five children all homeschool their kids like I homeschooled them. And so then whatever size their family is, let's just say they all have five each, well, now there's 25 more people they've been homeschooled and not indoctrinated. Well, now we're building a village. Now we're getting close to actually having a society that I'm going to actually see eye to eye with. Um, but I don't expect much more, Mike. I don't. And and it's hard. As a matter of fact, I wonder if this is kind of one of the things I wanted to talk about on the show today. I know we don't have much time left, but there was a line in the Mass today an expression, two words, in, you know, basically, I forget, maybe it's forgive us for this, but inconstant hearts, you know, inconstancy in our heart. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I thought, well, God, we're not just inconstant in our hearts, we're inconstant in our minds, we're inconstant in our wills, we're inconstant in our dreams, we're inconstant in our visions, we're inconstant in our hopes, we're inconstant in everything, because this world has so frazzled us. It's, uh, you know, John Horvath wrote that book about frenetic intemperance, our actions are all over the place. Our thoughts are all over the place, and God wants the constant heart. That's what He wants. He wants us to constantly be focused one on Him. Because remember, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Right? If we would just put our nose to one thing, and just every day do a little bit on that one thing, and then if it doesn't look like it did much, don't worry about it. it, it be constant. <laughs> There's a reason God made you want to do that thing, whatever it was. For me, let's say it was homeschooling. And believe me, it's hard to be constant in homeschooling. You get tired. You know, teaching five kids the same subjects every year for 15 years is a pain in the neck. But if you don't do it, if you're not constant in it, there'll be no reward. And there'll be no, you know, reaping what you sow. So 
you know, my message today is because a lot of people, and I was talking to Ernest, Ernest felt the same way. A lot of people going, man, I just keep wanting this big splash. I want this big change. I want to see this shift. I want to see America. It's not going to happen that way, guys. No, no. It's going to happen. It's going to happen on a step by step by step by step basis. Just stick to what you're doing. Do it well. Keep pushing it. Don't give up on it. Be constant at it, and God will reward you. Yes, um, and but, con- it ain't, but it ain't fun. <laughs> <laughs> and constantly attend your yearly Congress. <laughs> Those things that you're doing, constantly do them. Constantly tune into the Mike Church show. Constantly send me emails pleading with me to surrender the URL to my top secret project that David has seen. Uh, it has grown uh, by a factor of 70 since you saw it. Um, and I have gotten some suggestions, and it continues to grow. Uh, David Simpson is here on our uh, Wisdom Wednesday. Brother Andre Marie will be back next week, we pray. Uh, David, uh, this is our first Wednesday, uh, actually Wednesday, outside of Ash Wednesday, so our first Wednesday in Lent. And another thing, that I, and let's talk a, a little of the church's wisdom here for a moment. Uh, we, we've talked a, a lot about finances and mortgages and loans, and uh, now we get to the subject of constancy. Well, there is something that we actually can do here uh, during Lent. And um, now because I'm shackled with this project and I want to spend 10 hours a day on it, plus I need to spend 10 hours a day running the Crusade Channel, you can figure out what I'm not doing a lot of. (laughs) But in my house, though, the TV is not playing in the evenings any Mm -hmm. longer. It's beautiful, quiet. Uh, my lovely wife and producer is reading from uh, her. Uh, she's reading books, and uh, there is a uh, there's there's that little piece of modernity is missing, and I actually like it. No, it's awesome. Yeah, I actually like it, and I think that this is one of these. Uh, and and when you say the, the what are I think of Wallace Shawn. Are we all just a, are we all just bored? Are we all just bored children lying in the bathtub, staring at our plastic duckies? Going, well, what can yeah. I do? Uh, well, don't be bored. Uh, and in the spare time that I do have, uh, I uh, I've taken taken my Latin course back up from uh, the family of, uh, of Saint Jerome in Florida, and I've knocked out six pages already, which is a feat because this is complicated stuff. I'm back to reading the Psalms, and I read them in Latin. Go like, okay, can I figure out what the what King David is yeah, actually saying yeah. here? And I go, I get some of it. Um, uh, and my point is that there was a certain beauty to the to the to the contemplative life. This is a word of wisdom to you people. That no, if if you it, no, it's absolutely true. If 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 we would all right. So there's a lot of a lot of us complain. I, I'm I'm definitely guilty of this very same thing. Okay, well, what, think about the things you complain about. Let's just say, for instance, television. Okay, like you said, turn it off. It's Lent. Turn off uh, YouTube. Turn off everything that you might distract you audiovisually wise. I promise you, when you do, you're going to have three hours at night that you have nothing to do. <laughs> three, three, that's a lot. Three hours a night. Yeah. Maggie's read and four to, books. <laughs> right. Four books in a week. Those, we used to waste those three hours, right? So then... When you feel like, oh, gosh, I've got nothing to do, okay, then you could read a book or you could take on a project for the Crusade Channel, let's say, or you oh. could say, you know what, oh. my grandkids aren't being homeschooled and I'm going to teach them religion at home. I mean, pick, you, pick 
your thing. You've got three hours a night now. Well, you, I think you're going to find that you'll love that more than you ever loved the wasting on you know, watching television. Now, I have to say, I generally do go back and watch television after Lent. Uh, I don't know why. <laughs> maybe maybe we get tired of working so hard. I don't know. But it's not work if, you, if we turn to that labor of love, you know, that thing that you love more. Um, so, yeah, I think I have no doubt you're going to find that you're more contemplative. It's quieter. You can do more. And Or, you know what? I don't even care if you go to sleep at 9 o'clock at night now. That's awesome, too. Right? Um, become rested and wake up all energized for the next day. Well, but you'll find much better off if you do these things the church recommends us to do. I'll tell you something else you'll find much better off, and you've been doing this for quite a while now. Uh, you're, you're doing intermittent fasting. If you actually try the, the if you actually try the old school church's uh, teaching on fasting, which and I know I must we're not supposed to, to boast and brag about fasting, and I'm I'm trying not to. I'm just saying that I have given it the old college try of the the, the, the one principal meal taken in the afternoon. I'm even uh, trying to wait until 3, until 3 p.m. And uh, just praying all day long, just when you know, the hunger pangs are up, the big meal is coming. <laughs> it's coming. Just offering up and, 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 and truly just saying, God, just uh, uh, I want to just, uh, I'm doing this because I want to be closer to you. And uh, I, I want my family to see this so that they'll revert. So that's my uh, my, my line of thinking. Um, I have a lot more energy. I, oh, I sure. spring out of bed in the morning. <laughs> when you're burning, when you're going ketosis and you're burning fat and you're not eating kind of like, you know, we, we, we graze and eat during the rest of the year, it has a marked difference in your mental acuity. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. It's so the, I've been doing pretty. I've been doing a pretty hard fast. I do every do it every year. I'm trying to. I find that I find and it's just one of these things. You know, the devil's always at work on the other side trying to get at us. I find that it almost falls into a pattern, and I stop spiritualizing it. Like I stop thinking about the purpose, and I'm just like almost like almost like I'm on a hard diet all of a sudden. And I go, come on, Dave. That's not the point. The point is not to lose weight or to be in shape or whatever else. It's to um, strengthen yourself against temptations. Um, and, and also to love God and to appreciate our Lord's sacrifice. These are all the points that we have in fasting, you know. And so so what I've been doing, and I think it's interesting, it's, I read it today, as a matter of fact, that book, Challenge of the Challenge of the Faith, that Brother Francis wrote, just these little snippets of wisdom that he put about different topics. It's a wonderful book. I hope you have some of the trading posts. Uh, if you I don't, do, I, don't. I need to book. get it. I need to get it. Yeah, The Challenge of the Faith, it's awesome. Uh, if you don't, if Mike doesn't have it, go to Brother Andre's site and buy this little book. It's a wonderful meditation for Lent. But he's, today was about fasting, as a matter of fact. And he said this line was very interesting. He said, sometimes it's more meritorious to just cut off eating at your meal versus not having the meal at all. And what he means is, you know, you're enjoying something sumptuous, let's say. You're, oh, man, Mom made a great dinner tonight, right? And you're taking a nice bite, and you go, okay, that's the only bite I'm going to take. <laughs> um you're saying, I want to sacrifice because our Lord sacrificed. And if you can do that at that moment, it's an incredible, incredible sacrifice because our Lord smiles upon it. Oh, thank you for joining me on the Via Dolorosa, you know? I mean, don't you think, I mean, today, so when I read that this morning, I thought, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. You didn't have one friend, not one friend to walk with you down that road while they're spitting on you and yelling at you and you're carrying a cross and just crushing you. I mean, your mother was trailing behind you, and she's trying to catch up to you, but the crowd's keeping her back. 
but you didn't have one friend. I was like, I wish I could have been a friend there. Um, I probably wouldn't have been because I'm a weak jerk, <laughs> but I wish I could have been, you know? Um, I, I gave a talk at, at last Mardi Gras Eve in, in Tampa, Florida, to the uh, Society of the Apostles of St. John, and the theme of the talk was, I'm going to convince you people, well, the theme of the talk was, I fast so Our Lady can work miracles. What's your superpower? Uh, but, 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 uh, but what I discovered in, in composing the, the, the talk, and I actually read some Brother Francis, is that fasting is also an act of charity. Because remember, yeah. in, in our Lenten pilgrimage, we sang, my, uh, what is the song about prayer and fasting, prayer and fasting, temper? Yeah, uh, uh. Always. Magnificat, yeah. The Magnificat, Magnificat. You, you you sing the Magnificat or just chant the Magnificat to yourself while you're fa fasting. I promise you, you'll forget about you, you forget about eating. But there is that part about prayer and fasting. Uh, your fasting can be charitable. You're wondering, well, how can I be charitable? Well, if you're consecrated to Our Lady, for example, or you're consecrated to Our Lord's Sacred, or you're just consecrated to the church, um, uh, or, you're, or, or you have a patron saint that you go to, uh, or your guardian angel, uh, you ask them for favors all the time. Intercede for me, please. So such and such is sick. Such and such. We know that God loves those that fast. He loves. He, he loves the sacrifice of fast. When you fast and say, Lord, I am willing to endure whatever you will send me, including this fast. Will you please help such and such? Sarah Grant, for example, grant, her, grant Ryan and Sarah Grant a miracle here. Heal her cancer. Give him peace. Give that yeah. family peace. That's a charitable thing. You're taking your suffering. You're going like, I don't need it for me. I don't want it for me. I'll give it to you. Yeah. You give it to Our Lady. If you're, if you're consecrated to Our Lady, of course, mediatrics of all graces, she gets it in Globo anyway. She's going <laughs> to, you, you agreed to give it all to her. So fasting right. is also something you can do that 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 that, that, that has a, a component of charity with it. Yeah, it's a wonderful <clears throat> look. There's a reason this comes around every year. There's a reason our Holy Mother Church advises us to take on certain disciplines: prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Um, it every there's so many facets to God. Obviously, he's he's everything. He's a, he's the, he's the all being. Right. Um, we can't know him in any particular modality. We have to try to know him in every modality. We never will. We're finite, and he's infinite. But the more modalities that you can, the more aspects that you can see him in, the better off you're going to be. And the Church is, is, it rotates around to show us different aspects, whether it be mercy or justice or love or sacrifice or charity. You know, they, they, they move us around in this thing so we can look at this diamond that has all these facets and come to love it. Um, and in loving it, you it's amazing. We we he never he doesn't benefit. He he already has everything. We benefit. We end up being better human beings. We end up being better fathers or mothers. We be better businessmen, better friends. Um, and it, again, it's a, it's a miracle, really. Every every conversion, every growth in faith, every baptism, it's a miracle and a work of love. Uh, God calling us back to our heavenly home, right? Um, and right now, we're in a penalty box. We have to we have to live in the, the penalty, penalty box, box. <laughs> <laughs> because forty days uh, in the penalty we, box. <laughs> yeah, four minutes over there. It feels, it feels like eight thousand years, you know. Um, yeah, we got to live in the penalty box until we get back to the heavenly home. And so that's the hard part. The hard part is we have a uh, devil working against us. We have our own concupiscence. We got we're, our uh, you know susceptibility to temptation. Very a lot of struggles, right? Um, 
But, you know, that's what I think is so wonderful about the Congress is that you come together with people who are sharing some of those burdens, but we're all chuckling about it, laughing about it, having a beer about it, uh, edifying each other. It's just a good thing to see other people in the struggle and hear about it. I mean, we don't want to browbeat anybody. We just want to share a little bit, and I think that's a good thing. Well, and the theme for this year's Upon These Rocks Congress is alter for alter, culture, and trade. Yeah. And I think, yeah. just think about that trinity. Well, how does that work? They work very well together, and they worked fantastically in Christendom. Uh, as a matter of fact, they work pretty well in your home. They work pretty well with the Angel Investor Group. They work pretty well uh, in people coming uh, to, to, to the Congress. The three do work together when you think about them. Great things come in threes, and trinities uh, don't have to come in a three. But that's the theme, and uh, the registration is coming. It, it, it's coming, folks. I didn't want to throw registration and launching the Golden True Ticket Contest in the same day. But you all know the date. It's it, you, you, you can rest assured. Rusty has uh, assure, assured me that the hall is ours, uh, May 5th, 6th, and, and 7th. I want to leave, leave you with this one final uh, uh, nuggle, uh, nugget of financial or economic uh, inquiry and wisdom. That piece that I sent you two weeks ago from New Polity, Going for the Gold, there's a new book out. It's called uh, The Natural Order of Money by Roy Sebag. I'm wondering if someone like uh, uh, Franklin Sanders has read <laughs> this book. Because I'm reading a review Probably. of it, which is, pretty, which is pretty good. And I'm going like, this is something that we could actually sink our teeth into. I just want to share a paragraph and a half with the audience that I want you to comment. And this is based on where we began with fiat currency, usury, and evil. This is the opposite of charity. Okay, if you want to see what the opposite of charity is, I'm going to read this from this piece. I'm going to tell you what the opposite of charity is, and it's being done intentionally. So what, would, what word, what term should we describe to the opposite of charity that's being done intentionally? Well, l listen to the description. Quote, because fiat currency is not based in the natural order, it causes the people who use it to suffer. The ability to print money as needed may be a boon to business, but in actual fact, most of the money printed is gobbled up by the banks. The Cantillon effect describes the fact that the chief beneficiaries of the expansion of the money supply are the first recipients of the new money. Yeah. Usually the mm -hmm. banks. By the way, Ron Paul ran for president based on this 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 very point, and he said it over and over in speeches. Usually the banks, they are able to spend the funds before they have caused prices to increase. Yeah, you see how that works. Those next receiving the money, other major corporations, jumping on the new lines of credit, for face a small increase in price levels and so on. But the last recipients of the new money, the poor and the middle class, face the greatest inflation in prices with the proportionately few dollars that trickle down to them. In short, by printing and distributing money through specific corporate channels, central authorities have not only diminished the value of the common man's savings, but have drastically increased the wealth gap between those associated with the state and those who are not. This was dramatically seen during the COVID-19 crisis when between March 2020 and April 2021, 
the base monetary supply in the United States increased by 30%, and U.S. billionaire wealth increased by 61%. Mm. So the top five banks, J.P. Morgan Chase, Goldman Sachs, Bank of America, Morgan Stanley, and Citigroup, each earned an additional $51 billion that year compared with the year previous. David, this is a crime. That's a crime. Yep. Yeah, so I used to say on the Triwani show that this is a systematic theft operation, right? Um, and if you want to think of it, maybe a good way to think of it is an inverse funnel, like they're funneling money off of the backs of the working guy into their own coffers. That's one process by this inflationary means. And then the process you just described, which is the actual inflation itself, is we print the money, we hand it to the government, the government spends it first, they get the most value. Whoever they hand it to, which is always their big business cronies, whoever they hand it to first gets the second best value, and on down the line. Just as it was described, it was perfectly described. And and so that's the actual inflationary process. And the only person, and you're right, Ron Paul says this all the time, the person who gets squeezed and destroyed in this operation is the middle-class businessman and and the re, and, or just gen, or average worker, uh, serviceman, and the reason they do is because they have worthless dollars handed to them in the end. The prices have all escalated, and they can't afford even the gallon milk they used to buy for their kids. And that is a crime. It is a, um, you know, user, the usury circle in hell. Uh, I forget exactly the, the characterization Dante made of them. But you can, all, you can almost see. Just imagine the snake eating its own tail or just a shriveled up old men's bodies. It's this kind of concept where you're just it's it's okay. There's a good one. Um, the the leech on a body, right? The leech getting fatter and fatter and fatter and fatter, <laughs> and the body just dying, you know. And and you're like, wait a second, leech, what are you doing? Eventually, you're not going to have anything to suck off of if you keep doing that. Um, that is what's going on. They're sucking our lifeblood out of us, and it is. It, so it's the opposite of, of chair. It's a sin. It's a crime. It's a a. a, a a war against humanity. It's 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 destruction it of everything good, and it makes people end up being dog eat dog. I, well, I tell you what, I ain't gonna die, so I guess I'll eat you. You know, and that's what we're doing. We must. We we have to escape this in every way possible. We must endeavor to escape this. Uh, I'm going to make a proposition here. We talked about the student loans and the mortgages of how it's not their money to loan out anyway. Uh, the bill, uh, uh, I guess Biden is, Biden's backup to give uh, the $600 billion of student loan forgiveness is to get Schumer to ram it through the Senate and then try to con McCarthy and the GOP to pass it in the House. I don't think that's going to work, uh, but I think we should all put the pressure on them. I call for us all again to do what we did in 2009 and on April the 15th of this year, meet wherever good people meet. Uh, Lent will be over. It'll be just barely over, but it'll be over, and we can uh, we can go to the tavern afterwards. I say that we have us a second tea party. Do you remember Rick Santelli? Do you remember how this began? You remember, you remember Rick Santelli on CNBC? So basically, Obama, the Obama administration is trying to require all of us to pay our neighbors' mortgages. I don't want to pay mine. And then he turns around <laughs> to the commodity exchange. How many of you want to pay your neighbor's mortgage? And Santelli yeah. goes on this epic, famous rant. Maggie could probably find it on YouTube. This epic, famous rant. 
And this is picked up on by people like me on Sirius XM at the time, and El Rushbo and others. And before you know it, a massive nationwide wave of outrage is pointed at these people. Now, awesome. it, it doesn't change anything. You went to one on the lakefront, didn't you, in 2000, April 15, yeah, 2009? Yeah. I know Maggie did because I was in Mordor. By the way, I got top billing. Laura Angren came after me. Uh, mm-hmm. On that stage, I could see the Obama White House. I could see the snipers on the roof. This drew tens of millions of people, tens of millions of people into the streets, to the courthouses, to the town council chambers, et cetera, et cetera. We need to do this again. We need to go out there and say, no, you're not listening. And hey, St. Tammany, we don't want any more contractors building anything in this parish. Enough is freaking enough. What about our standard of living? What about my ability to be able to drive to the Simpson house without taking 45 minutes when it should only take 16? Enough is- Well, Mike, you know the problem. So the problem is that they all showed up, and and we know this is gonna happen again. They all showed up. It was co-opted by the GOP very quickly. Oh, they took it over. Right, and so what happens when you get these large mass movements of people is it's, all, it's generally leaderless. Or if a leader does arise, that's actually a genuine human being. They don't listen to him because everybody has their own opinion. They all start crab fighting, or, you know, whatever else. So I say you do that on a mini scale. Meaning, I don't care if we do it. Nash, I care that maybe you and I go. We stand outside the post office and everybody's dropping off their tax returns. We say a rosary while we're out. I was going to. I was thinking we, rosary while you were talking. Why don't we ask Cardinal Burke to lead us? Yeah, and then and then when people say, "What the heck are you doing?" We're saying, "We're we're we want out of this stupid tax and money system, this scam that they're perpetrating against us." How about we uh, uh, we've got our little local bank here, and they go, "Where are you go? Where's the bank? Right here, in my back in my wallet. I have ten thousand dollars. You want to borrow some? And if you pay me back, it'll be an honest deal." And that's I can go for something like that because then we go, "Okay, maybe we're actually again small steps, constant working at it, and never never say and die." I, I think that's the best way we can go forward on it. We'll, uh, we'll pull a um, uh, uh, a Bill Murray. Who else was in that movie? Um, uh, <laughs> Bill Murray was in it. Was it Richard Drivers and Bill Murray? The the where Bill Murray played Bob. What about Bob? What about Bob? Who who was in it? Justin was it Bill Murray. Was it? It was Drivers. <laughs> Baby Steps. Remember and uh, was it Bob oh, Newhart? It wasn't Bob Newhart. I it was, that movie. It was yeah. Charles Grodin. Charles Grodin was the second. Was the shrinkers going like, "Remember Bob, baby steps, <laughs> <laughs> baby steps." Well, let's remember baby steps, Mike. Don't take that one. I'll use that as a soundbite from now on. <laughs> All right, brother. Well, thank you for a Wisdom Wednesday, and uh, uh, I'm not going to stop bothering you till you agree to do the Wisdom Wednesday show. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Wisdom Wednesday, right, every other week, or, or like, I know you've been telling me True Money again. Look, we're getting together early. True Money, sh- true, this true money Show, yeah, we'll, we'll work it out. <laughs> well, let's talk Let's talk Monday or Tuesday, all right? All right, sounds good. David Simpson, uh, and, uh, by the way, on that double secret probation uh, uh, the uh, thing that uh, you and I, that I'm working on, uh, uh, there's a lot of Simpson on it already, I guess. I can tell you. Well, then it's, 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 it's sure to tank then, Mike. It's sure, it's sure to explode if I'm on it. No, no, no. It's going to be fantastic. All right, David, God bless you. And uh, tell Ray that, uh, that we uh, that we said hello and uh, and the girls and all that. And then we shall see you very soon, my friend. I will. God bless you too, Mike. All right. God bless you. Mary, keep you. All right. So another uh, Wisdom Wednesday in Zakan. <laughs>